Hello, I'm Sarah Connolly, and today I'm talking to Guy Elliott, who works for Sweet Spot, who run a whole load of races in the UK, but most interestingly for me, the tour series of City Centre Crits and also the Friends Life Women's Tour of Britain. Um, hi, Guy. Hi, Pigeons. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you? Good, thanks. Um, I wanted to talk to you because, um, I, as people know, I, I did a little bit of work on the women's tour this year and it was the most amazing experience and I've got like a thousand questions for Guy and Guy's always pointing out that I, my my lack of knowledge of the rules of what, how races work so I thought it would be a good opportunity to ask you a load of questions about it. <laughs> but get the answers right they'll probably be wrong people will <laughs> ring in saying he doesn't know the rules. Yeah exactly but I think to be honest with the UCI rules you can kind of make them up to a certain extent um, I mean, this year's Friends Life Women's Tour was ridiculously successful and you were, well, you were integral to making it happen. Can you tell us a little bit about how it came about? Uh, yeah, I think uh, what happened is Sweet Spot have organised the Men's Tour of Britain, uh, as well as other races, by the way, hmm. but Men's Tour of Britain for 10 years. Uh, they're supporters of women's cycling, so we have uh, women's races in the Tour Series and they've had uh, other events such as the Crit in uh, London at the end of the Men's Tour of Britain on some occasions, mm -hmm. and always felt they should be doing or wanted to do more for women's sport. After London 2012 seemed as good a, a time as any. You know, that sort of revitalised the British interest in sport, and uh, it, was, it just seemed the right time, really. And the thing that Sweet Spot's good at doing is creating change. I only joined a year ago. And they're good at making things happen. So it yeah. uh, just seemed a good time to make the women's tour happen. And fortunately, after a year of work uh, and lots of worry and uh, anguish, if you like, it happened and it went well. And I think it surpassed everyone's expectations. Yeah, I mean, you had, you. I, I remember people saying some of the ridiculous things people told you, like, you know, there'd never been a successful women's sporting event in Britain. Yeah, I'm not sure they were, they were ridiculous. We had good advice. Had, I think it's quite interesting about when we launched it, which was about a year in advance, so we had the Men's Tour of Britain launch and we said, we're now going to create a women's tour. We got a mixture of responses and some of those were very friendly and helpful and were from all sorts of people saying, you need to be careful here because with the best will in the world, can you think of any standalone women's sports events that work? You know, mm -hmm. And we'll come back to that and explore that. And there are very few. Uh, and but I wouldn't like to suggest that those bits of advice were in any way unhelpful. They were people trying to sort of tell us to be cautious because we said we were going to change the world. On the other side, you had some misogynistic comments from people who just treat women with contempt. And they probably do that in their lives and business or whatever anyway. And we don't really worry about those people except yeah. to try and put them down when we get the chance. But <laughs> I wouldn't like you to think that people who gave us advice saying this is going to be difficult were in any way being destructive um, because they weren't. Yeah. But I mean, you, I mean, so when you, when it happened and the crowds, I mean, the, when it started on the Wednesday and the crowds were huge and you'd obviously worked really hard. It felt like every school in the whole of South of England was out on the roads. And I mean, how did you feel like driving past it and seeing it? Felt like crying, actually. Um, it was very, very emotional experience for all of us. What we had to do before the start of the race was hype it uh, yeah. because had we not done that, then... I don't think any of that would have happened and the crowds wouldn't have turned up. But it was quite scary hyping it because you don't know if it was going to happen and whether you'd be left looking stupid. Yeah. So we got feedback from, from a lot of the Continental pros saying, 
there's been so much hype, we hope it lives up to expectations. And you sort of think, gosh, I hope so. But if we didn't do it, we wouldn't have changed the sport. And luckily, it all went well. So one of the things we did was to make sure that we engage with every community and not just talk about a bike race, but launch a, what we call a women in sports festival. Yeah. So we were determined, and festival might be the wrong word, but we were determined to engage with schools and make the women racers role models for young girls and mm -hmm. adolescents in particular. So we were very, and a lot of work went into that, but we were very happy when we saw the result that right along the route, uh, as well as the stage towns, all the schools turned out. And it was a big deal to us, or me in particular, that those kids were cheering women, and that a lot of people were inspired by women, and that a lot of boys wrote to us, young boys wrote to us after the race, saying they were inspired to take up the sport by women. That's pretty damn good when you think about it. Oh, that's just, I remember the little kid, I think it was in the penultimate day, who designed the flag, who'd won the prize for designing the flag. Oh, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and he was over the moon because he got to meet, you know, he got to meet Laura Trot and Wiggle had been just delightful to him. And I think Mariana had been delightful to him too. And he was just, his. he just had that huge smile on his face. And it kind of, to me, it, it kind of, proved evidence that it's you know people will say that boys won't listen to girls boys won't be inspired by girls but girls can be inspired by boys and it was just lovely to see like the you know individual and collective evidence that that, that was so not the case that's oh, complete nonsense half of what you read about women in sport is complete nonsense and it's maintained by people who don't want change so yeah, yeah, yeah. i agree with you yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and I was especially happy. I mean, the TV was incredible. I, I think I've told you this before, but my little sister lives in Essex. And so she had it on the local TV and the national, you know, and the national TV. And she's never watched cycling. And she knew that I was there. So, you know, maybe she pricked up her ears a little bit more. But she said it was really exciting just to watch, you know, just to watch these, this thing when she was, you know, sitting there with her baby. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think women's racing is more exciting than men's racing. I think the women professionals were outstanding with crowd engagement, the way they uh, the way they carry themselves. And Simon Brotherton, a friend of ours who's the BBC commentator, took his daughter to the Welling finish. Mm -hmm. She was totally inspired and excited by it and, uh, you know, inspired to take up sport or cycling. And I wonder whether that would have happened quite to that extent if she'd been watching uh, male role models, you know. So we, the the women professional riders are just outstanding. They're, they're not only fine athletes, but they're approachable as well. And there's everything about the sport ticks every box. They race hard, but they the minute they cross the line, they seem to get on well with each other. So it's genuine sporting, mm. you know, it's genuine sporting atmosphere. They're very good at crowd engagement. They're just great role models. Uh, they just tick every box, to tell you the truth. So, yeah, and the TV coverage was brilliant and uh, we, we enjoyed it. You know, it was yeah. good to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think I remember people being a bit worried after the first three days with all the kids on the road. You know, oh, goodness, will, it, will, will Saturday and Sunday be as big? And then yeah. they were even bigger. <laughs> yeah, I wondered wonderful. that. We, we wondered about that. And, and we'll come to TV viewing figures later. But in fact... We sort of thought we were looking. I, I always look at the worst picture, and I thought, well, okay, you might something might go well on the first day, and then you'll get a drop off of interest, or yes. you know, people watching and saying, okay, I've seen it now, and that's it. But in fact, the TV viewing figures actually went up, and the crowds went up. And in fact, on uh, Saturday, the penultimate day in Hertfordshire, I mean, the crowds were just unbelievable. So, um, and the TV viewing figures reflected that. So, yeah, absolutely great. Yeah, I think. I think there was a moment I, I, I met I met a guy um, on on the Sunday on in Harwich whose little daughter Millie I think she was eight years old was um, you know she'd made a homemade sign 
and I got chatting to the guy and so I took him around to you know introduce introduce Millie to riders that I knew like Emma Pooley and Lucy Garner and Rossella Ratto in the white jersey and stuff and she just was just so happy but I think I think giving giving the riders the opportunity to see that too you know riders were talking about the number of people who came up to them who you know who'd been following them or who'd you know who or whose daughters just wanted to be them yeah, which just yeah. I think that's really nice because you expect I think you expect that in places like the Netherlands or or you know the Trofeo Binder in Italy, but it must be quite it can be I think it can be quite lonely, you know you kind of rock up and there's like fan you know there's hardcore fans and there's random people, but it did feel like something that was a genuine pleasure to ride for you know to ride for the bike races as well, and that was that made me you know as a British person that made me very proud. <laughs> Yeah, we've got some great girls in Great Britain and uh, great role models for British girls. But I have to say, when you see how the girls from overseas behaved, I saw Emma Johansson talking to kids. Mariana Voss was so approachable. Yeah. All of the Wiggle Honda team, the Americans were good. UHC were great. They're very good at engagement. Uh, and all of them, without exception, were just great. I think they welcomed it, but they were yeah. great with the crowds. It was a two-way admiration society, if you like. They just, everyone respected each other and uh, were glad of the other's presence. So yeah. just, just perfect. Oh, it makes me happy. So, I mean, how did, how did the race actually happen? Like, I mean, I think what I didn't know, I always knew about the rule that a women's race can only be maximum 125 kilometres per stage. But I'd never known until you told me that there was also the, in a stage race, it's maximum 100 kilometres, um, average, average 100 kilometres a day as well. So, you yeah, know, if you have yeah. 110, the next day's got to be 90. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you a bit of the background and maybe it'll be too much detail or we'll come back to some of the more questions you have later. But mm. broadly, we decided to create, uh, we, we took advice. So the first thing is we knew we wanted to create a women's tour. And apart from that, we were pretty open-minded. So very early on, we went to, we went wanted to get some decent advice. So um, Mick Bennett and I went to see Rochelle Gilmore in Belgium, and she was brilliant. She, you know, we spent an afternoon with her, and we said, if we were going to design a perfect race for women at elite level, what should we do? Mm-hmm. And we had the agenda with her that we wanted to change the world, not just run another race. And uh, she's a very forward-thinking person, anyway. And so various things came out of that, but in particular that the calendar suits at the moment five-day races, five-day stage races. Yeah. Now, you, as a new event, you're limited anyway, but we said, okay, five days sounds about right. Um, and that we needed to be, ideally, uh, in the southeast of England, we needed to be near the Channel Ports because we were running on a tight budget. Yeah. Um, you've got the cost of hotels. You've got teams travelling from other races and wanting short mileage and limited overnight costs, etc. So we said, okay, we'll run a five-day stage race in the southeast of England, loosely, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we wanted to pay men's prize money and we wanted it to be televised and we wanted to have women's sports festivals at each of the towns where we made the stars of the race real role models and actually changed the way the whole of women's cycling would be perceived. Mm. So then that was the framework, and then I literally had to go round knocking on the doors of councils to try and get them to take the race. And the framework we use in the Tour of Britain, which works well, is that whilst you might have sponsors, you want councils to pay their way as well. Yeah. It means you're not dependent on one headline sponsor or individual sponsors, but also if councils have to pay to get the race, it means they buy into it and really get enthused and they want to make sure that they get a return on their investment. Mm-hmm. 
So I literally, with some colleagues, drove around knocking on doors of councils. And I mean, it really was that cold calling councils, trying to find out the person responsible um, and literally knocking on the door and talking to them about the inequality of women cycling, the disgusting way women athletes are treated and how we wanted to change the world. And um, after a very short time, started to realise that we were going to make it happen um, from the council's perspective. And I think I've been quoted as saying the real game changer for me was I found my way into Northamptonshire County Council and got a meeting with Heather Smith, who's the deputy leader, started to explain what the race was about, and what we were trying to do and the investment that was required. And she stopped me there and grabbed some colleagues and just said, we've got to do this. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's, she's brilliant. The whole of Northampton, all the councils were great, but I walked out of there. I didn't leave that, that day. I went out and instead of I was after a stage start and they said, we'll take a whole complete stage. And as I've often been quoted as saying, they then beat me up and said they wanted the grand depart and they'd make it special. But people like that were totally enthused and saw that we were trying to change women's sport, not just create a bike race. And we went round various councils and generally got a good reception uh, from almost everyone. And then you had to try and piece together the stages. And coming back to what you were saying, it's very difficult. So we'll just take Northamptonshire as an example. But the UCI limit you to an average of 100, 100 kilometres a day. Yeah. So as you say, if you go up to 110 one day, you have to come. Somebody has to get 90. Yeah. And these councils are paying to have the race and want as much as they can in their county broadly. So by the time you have to design a route with a stage start town and a different finish town. And I'll explain why that is afterwards, but broadly commercial reasons. Mm -hmm. You have to get two King Queen of the Mountains sprints in and you have to get two normal sprints in and you're limited to 100 Ks. It makes it very difficult to decide where to take your race. Yeah. And you're extremely limited by that. It was very frustrating. So... Um, People on the internet were saying, and including some of the athletes were saying, oh, these are very short stages, sweet spot must have run out of money and whatever. I think, no, you go and read the regulations. All we're allowed to do is 100Ks per day. Yeah, yeah. Over five days, in fact, our total stage length, race length was 499.8 kilometres. <laughs> so we, we took it to the absolute maximum. And that's something we'd like to change in women's cycling. We don't want to turn it to... Um, 150 mile stages or anything like that we're not trying to copy the tour de france um but we would like the flexibility to be reasonable you know i think 120 kilometer stages over five days would be reasonable especially yeah, yeah, yeah. when we're not going through mountainous terrain you know yeah. we're on fairly easy roads yeah and also i mean the thing is this is the emma pooley thing that you know women can can completely ride for 350 kilometers or whatever if they want to you know you train people train for 125 kilometers because that's what they race but I mean I guess when you think about it getting from town A to town B and you have to go on roads that are interesting and you have to avoid things like dual carriageways and you know yeah. and work within what's possible it, and, and and then there's all sorts of things you know like I, I doubt you'd be able to go past a school for example at at, at closing time or whatever yeah that sort of thing yeah, yeah. I mean I, I can't even imagine how you do it because it's you know avoiding railway lines avoiding main junctions it, yeah. it just becomes i it, it's the lack of flexibility i think that that just seems so stupid and you know when a giro starts with a 17 kilometer descent neutralized stage yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, some people said to me, go and run very long neutralized stages, and I said, well, that's just stupid. But is, the first yeah. commissaire asked us when we were, when he, you know, the first question was, have you complied with UCI regulations? Yeah. You raise a good point, though, in the middle of that. You talk about Emma Pooley and being able to ride, you know, longer and more and whatever. I think an interesting point is, and if there are female professionals listening to this, I'd like them to take this on board, you know, there are... A lot of people are saying, let's go for mountainous stages and get, you know, longer stages and harder. What we noticed is we had a field of 100 and we were overwhelmed by the quality of the entries. So broadly, we had the highest quality field in the world. We had all of the best teams. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had a few outsiders, if you like, but we had the very best riders. The only team that was missing because of a, a commitment in Asia was uh, Giant Shimano. Mm. And we noticed with the top 100 riders that very quickly in the race, that quickly divided into the very strong front markers, you know, the poolies, the vosses and whatever. But you get about 30 to 40 riders down and there's a very noticeable gap in terms of quality. Yeah. That doesn't mean they're not good riders and whatever, but it does mean that if you're talking about taking the race over arduous terrain or over longer distances, very quickly you're going to, uh, half of the field will be dropped. Yeah. Now, nobody likes talking about that, and some people view it as decrying the second tier of professionals, if you like. But I'd like to elaborate on it because it's important. When we're on the open roads in Britain, so it isn't closed roads like the Tour de France, mm. but you have to have a rolling police road closure. Yeah. And the maximum bubble you can afford to get away with is about 15 minutes. So from the moment your first rider or the first motorbikes, bike, motorbikes start to arrive, if it's anything longer than 15 minutes, the whole thing ties up motorbikes, resources, traffic problems occur. And we noticed, even with our fairly flat stages or rolling stages, that there were riders coming in very quickly 15 minutes down, large, yeah. you know, several of them. So when people are calling for uh, you know, us in Britain, put on a hilly a mountainous stage, take it through Wales, take it through the Scottish mountains, what that means, or, or Yorkshire, is that very quickly, within the first what I call selection, many riders will be dropped and they'll be coming in more than 15 minutes down and will be eliminated from the race on the time difference. Yeah. So I get frustrated as an organiser with well-meaning people demanding more arduous events without thinking through the implications. Yeah. Because I can tell you that taking on a mountainous stage, which would suit Emma Pooley, you know, Marion Voss and the climbers, you know, some great climbers. But that, I, I just feel slightly defensive as an organiser. I can tell you that if I start with 100, that most will be eliminated by stage two. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we have tremendous traffic problems. Yeah. So that explains why we deliberately chose our route, for year one anyway, and probably year two, which we'll come back to, to be less arduous. Now, as a new organiser of women's cycling and somebody who doesn't know the women yet, you know, all the intricacies, I would say that people in the sport need to be very careful about calling for change and arduous events without thoroughly thinking that through. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I suppose the counter argument from Emma Pooley would be that on the Dutch incredibly windy crosswind stages, you know, where the where you have to have incredibly skillful riding, that you know climbers like her get dropped all the time and are fifteen yeah. minutes back because you know you have to be is a different skill set, isn't it? Yeah. But I guess I mean. This is part of the problem too, isn't it? I think the Netherlands is more set up for, or Italy is more set up to allow. Let's close the roads for longer. Yeah. In ways that Britain isn't, and 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 you know, and you are breaking new ground. I mean, I mean, 
I, what frustrated me was people suggesting it was in a very small geographic area. And you went through, was it six counties you went through? Well, we got frustrated with that because people have started calling it the Tour of Britain. And we don't mind that, but it yeah. isn't the Tour of Britain. And so some people have said to me, well, why not? Nice. The, the men's Tour of Britain is eight stages and we get heavily criticised for not going to Scotland, Wales, Midlands. Why haven't you been to yeah. Yorkshire? You can't do. And this is a So we said this is a five-day stage race in the south and east of England. And sort of, we took it into six counties. We took it just about everywhere. Yeah. If you go in a five day, you had five days of 100 kilometres. Um, and the other thing riders like is to stay in the same hotels and yes. not big transfers. Yes. So the yes. message I'd like to get is I don't mind people calling it the Tour of Britain. It's kind of nice. But there are two reasons. Is we can't possibly hope to get round Britain. Yeah. And secondly, we don't own the name. That's owned by British Cycling. Yeah. So, but... You know, no, I think people. Just, day, it's a five-day region. It's a five-day stage race yeah. in Great Britain. I think. I think a lot of people just call it the Tour of Britain just to annoy British cycling, though. I mean, I know I do because it's that yeah, thing they're, of it, they're it not, not being, being allowed to do. About it. It, but so, some people will know this. The Tour of Britain fell into, you know, it fell into financial difficulties over ten years ago. Uh, the name was owned or is owned by British Cycling, and then ten years ago, Sweet Spot went and recreated the event, re, mm. you know, from scratch, invested in it. And then found, you know, after it was successful again, British Cycling then put that out to tender. Now, it was absolutely within their rights to do so. But imagine how you would feel if you were sweet spot, yeah. having built the event up at great cost over 10 years yeah. to effectively lose it. So it's not really in our interests to call it the Tour of Britain, but we don't have a bad relationship with British Cycling. Yeah, yeah, we accept yeah, yeah, their yeah. name. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. But I think people will call it the Tour of Britain, but you won't hear us call it that. <laughs> no. I mean, the thing I wanted to say about the route is I, I really enjoyed seeing it because what, what struck me was you went through some incredibly beautiful places like Althorpe House and yeah. you know, the, other, the other, you know, some really gorgeous... I mean, that start... That, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the small town. Oh, that's terrible, <laughs> isn't it? The place where it all kicked off. Oundle. Yeah, was incredibly four day four day festival. Yeah, it was incredibly beautiful, but you also went through some properly deprived areas. Yeah. And that that was really interesting to me, you know, like just driving into Oundle, you can see it's all, you know, mellow, beautiful brick and you know, sunshine and very posh cheese and wine shops. And then starting in Harwich. Yeah, is a very different beast, and and some of the places you went through, you you know, you'd be going through, you know, through the edges of council estates, and then you go through, you know, aristocratic mansions. That was deliberate. Um, so what happened was we wanted to show off nice places in Britain. Um, yeah. You know, Arundel was just picturesque, and Northamptonshire County Council were keen to show off their stately homes. You know, Althorpe mm. and places like that. But also we uh, talked with them and other councils about the social agenda. The key thing for us was to change the aspirations of uh, adolescent girls in particular. Yeah. And some of the hard to address areas, you know, are in the uh, more deprived areas or socially challenged areas. So we wanted to go there as well and inspire those kids uh, to take up sport or to stay involved with sport or to be inspired. Mm. So we wanted to go to all sorts of areas and, and that was a very conscious and deliberate uh, decision by us working with the councils. Yeah, I mean, that just it just made me happy because it was like, it's sometimes cycling, you know, can be, sometimes it can feel that in Britain cycling only speaks to, you know, a certain you know, nice middle class people who can afford an immense amount of Rafa Merino underwear or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
and and you and I think it's the same with the tour series. You know, when you go to places like Kirkcaldy and Barrow and Furness, that's that's not you know. And then you're also in Edinburgh in the shadow of the castle. Yeah, yeah. a good example was uh, Clacton on Sea. Paul Price from the council, which is tendering, uh, wanted the, the race to to go to Clacton, and I said, well, it's a bit out of the way, and I'm not sure. And he said, hang on a minute. You've lectured me on your social agenda. You've told me that you want to change the lives of people and young people. You want to inspire them. So I want you to come to Clacton, and nobody comes here. Why aren't you? Why aren't you bringing me? You know, why aren't you bringing the race here? Yeah. I said, I'll tell you what. We better come to Clacton. He <laughs> was absolutely right to challenge us, and it was a great stage finish. Um, but he was absolutely right, and we've inspired kids there. And uh, to, to be honest. Uh, not many other major sporting events do go there. So yeah, yeah. it's a good balance. Yeah. So I mean, what were the other challenges? I mean, obviously, you've got to get, you've got to get start, you know, you've got to get a council involved and then you've got to find start towns and finish towns. And this is all within the context of, you know, 100 kilometre stages and yeah. not going over motorways. Yeah. And often, you've yeah, then got place. Yeah. then you've got things that you want to hit. So, for example, Althorpe or, or, or a yeah. more deprived area. What, what are the other things that you have to worry about when you're thinking about this? Well, it's complicated. We've got a great team working on it. So we have a route director, Andy Hawes, who routes the Men's Tour of Britain. Mm. We have a start manager, Mark Leyland, and a finish manager, Rob Kennison. And they're all looking at different things. But firstly... As you say, you've got you've got to try and find the right start and finish towns. Make sure they're suitable, and some of them were tight. You know, the finish in Bury St Edmunds was a tight technical finish. Yeah. Then you have to look at the route, and you're trying to make it sporting, sportingly appropriate. So we wanted rolling countryside or exposed winds, as in the case of Essex. Um, safe roads. You have to avoid main A roads. Uh, you know, National Highways Authority, and all of those permutations when you sort of key them in and looking at them and scratching your head looking at a map and then you're trying to take them past schools and through interesting towns it's a bit like a jigsaw you're trying to piece everything together so it's great uh, but sometimes I get a bit defensive when uh, and you have to educate yourself not to read the internet <laughs> because people sort of say they come out with sort of weird things so for instance we went. We decided we wanted to encourage breakaways, so we deliberately kept off roads with very long areas of visibility, yeah. down quieter roads where riders could get away. Yeah. And on the internet, uh, and we quite liked hedges because we thought so you can get out of sight. Because we, we wanted breakaways, and then on the internet, like I forget which one, people were saying they've gone down quiet roads because they can't afford to be on large roads or the routing <laughs> the routing director doesn't know what he's doing as well as the tour of britain you think no it's the same guy <laughs> goes down similar roads but it's just a game it's a game of jigsaw really trying to piece it all together but the sporting element was important to us and i think i told you before sarah we were designing it for tv yeah so we didn't want uh, and this comes back to emma pooley's problem i've got great sympathy for her as a climber but we didn't want some rider winning by two minutes. We wanted the final stage to be down to the wire where anybody could win the overall. Yeah. Um, and I think on the last day we had 13 riders within 20 seconds of the overall. Yeah. Um, so ideally going forward, what we would like is a hill before the finish about 10 miles out. So it can be more selective yeah. but so that people aren't spread over half an hour on the road. So, but, you know, rolling roads, uh, encourage breakaways, safe roads, Technical finishes are quite good um, in the centres of town and not too many major climbs where the race would be spread everywhere at the expense of poor old Emma. 
<laughs> Poor Emma. I yeah, mean, sorry for her. I feel, feel really sorry for the climbers because, as you say, they have to ride in echelons on Dutch roads time after time, and any new, few events that come on are really hilly or mountainous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, this is the problem with losing the races in, you know, when you lose the races in France and Spain and Italy, where yeah. there are hills, and you gain them in the Netherlands and Belgium and southern England, like with the best yeah. will in the world, you yeah. can't... I mean, your roads weren't easy as well. I think that was the thing that really, really interested me, is people were saying beforehand, oh, it's all flat. And I remember people telling me on Twitter, uh-uh, I ride around there all the yeah. time. This is not yeah. flat. Yeah. And I love I loved Mariana in one of the press conferences talking about how she really loved the British hedges. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, they kept keeping keeping off the wind. But it did mean, you know, it's all turny. There was some stages where you pretty much didn't get a single bit of actual flat. Yes. And yeah. then our... And then our roads are very heavy to ride on anywhere, anyway, compared to you yeah. know, compared to the low countries. Yeah. So it's much more challenging. I think that was the interesting thing. It's much more challenging than people expected. That was deliberate. The hedges were a funny one. The Dutch were texting me, the managers on stage four, saying, you promised us crosswinds, there are too many hedges. <laughs> it was a driving wind. I texted back, I think it was to Mariana's manager and uh, Lizzie's manager. I mean... Our signs were being blown over, literally. Mick Bennett was texting me saying there'll be no finish signage because they, they, it's all being blown over. <laughs> and meanwhile, Voss and Armistead's manager were texting me saying, where's this wind you've promised? So, <laughs> quite amusing. But they were, they were deliberately designed to be challenging courses, but, uh, but to make it a nail-biting finish. And the, the other thing is, because it was so close... Everyone was going for the sprints in between. Yeah. You know, Lizzie was battling head to head with Voss for every sprint where there were second, a couple of yeah, seconds. Yeah. And, and, and that's what, you know, as a selfish organiser, that's what I wanted uh, for TV. Yeah. You, know. you know, you know, I don't understand it. Some people are really damning about races that are decided on bonifications. I mean, this year's Euro, Mariana won, you know, the next Rabo, the person who wasn't Rabo, was one, th- one and a half minutes behind her, Mara Rabbit. Yeah. And Mariana won a minute on bonifications yeah. and some people are like oh well it shows a bad race when you win on bonnies but I think absolutely quite the opposite because you know there were some really thrilling competitions within competitions and you know the queen of the mountains for me was one of the highlights you know Yolanda Neff and Sharon Laws absolutely killing it for for all those you know for all those all those all those points and then yeah the intermediate sprints just going a bit crazy with, you know, Emma Johansson going for them too. It's just, I found it really, you know, there, there wasn't a dull moment in those races. No, I've changed my mind. I actually didn't believe in bonification sprints and said, uh, said exactly the same. And uh, I've changed my mind completely watching them fight for every second, literally every second. And Lizzie was the best example. Yeah. Fighting for every sprint uh, made me realise how wrong I was. Yeah, it made it an exciting race. Yeah. So, I mean, how did you choose which teams? Because you had obviously you had all the top teams, but then you also had, um, you know, some national teams, the British, the Great Britain national team, of course, yeah, yeah. and also the Swiss national team. Um, yeah. How and, and the Dutch national team? How do you how do you because I know there's UCI rules about that as yeah. well. Well, that's an interesting one as well because the fields generally on the continent run with up to two hundred races, but yeah. we were limited to a hundred. I won't bore you. You know, broadly, unless you apply for special police permission or whatever, you're limited to a hundred. Yeah. And yeah, it's a big cost. You're paying for hotels and everything. So to cut a long story short, we started this year with a hundred riders. Now, what the future brings, we'll have to think about. But 
also you're limited by the UCI who say you have to invite the top 10 trade teams and the top five country teams. So yeah. that's 15 teams straight away of six riders. Well, that's virtually the full field. And yeah. what surprised us, I mean, we thought we were going to be a 2-2 at the start and hoping for a 2-1. We were blown away. Everybody, literally everybody wanted to come. I think we turned away 30 teams we, and we were approached from all over the world with people pleading and when we said no they wrote to us again and again and whatever so the first thing we did was invite the top 10 uh, trade teams and virtually all of them said yes the only one was giant shimano who couldn't be there and they mm. had commitments in asia pacific and if you just yeah. think of who their sponsors are giant shimano that sort of makes sense yeah. um everyone else said yes fortunately if, uh, you also have to invite the top five national teams and which is crazy to me Sorry, it's crazy to me that because uh, it's quite top, good. Well, it's... your top your top five national teams. I mean, for example, the Dutch and the Nether and the Italians are always in the top five because most of the pros, you know, there's there's a really good proportion of the pros of you know a Dutch and Italian. Yeah, but yeah. then, but then they're never so, and it's good for the younger riders, I guess. But it means that you, it always it always kind of frustrates me a little bit because they shouldn't because it means that. You've got your Dutch and Italian riders in anyway because they're yeah. in the trade teams. Yeah. They're in the top ten trade teams, and they almost yeah. kind of count their points count twice, don't they? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think the top five we had to invite were Australia, Italy, USA, Netherlands, Australia, uh, anyway, and what and Sweden. Yeah. Mm. So, but you're right. Yeah, but anyway, we quite welcomed it. It's quite nice. To, uh, it, uh, you've raised a good point there. But but anyway, we had to invite them, uh, and broadly. Uh, some of them, so for example, America said, well, we will send a team, USA, but if you're going to have, you know, we know that UHC and uh, Optima yeah. keep to ride. If you if you have them, then we won't. And that that's very helpful because that yeah. sort of answers your point. It, uh, yeah. You know, make sure everyone gets a ride. And very quickly, we could see that we wouldn't be able to invite all the, you know, the, that we had so many domestic teams saying they'd been promised a ride and whatever. It just wasn't true. Uh, yeah. And we wrote to all of them explaining our position, saying it's a 2-1. Not only do we have to invite these teams, but we have to make sure that anyone else, any wild cards are balanced. Yeah. And to cut a long story short, our priority, our priority was to get as many British riders in as we could without abusing the system. Yeah. So we invited every trade team that had a British rider uh, on the continent. We wanted to say thank you to the riders who ploughed a lonely furrow riding on the continent. So Lucy Martin's team, they, yeah. they were outside the top 10. We invited them. Emma Pooley's team, Hannah Barnes and Sharon Laws. And I think there was one other knocking around somewhere. And that left us just two or three places. Um, and we thought if we can only, in, we, we invited Matrix, and we'll come back to why uh, in, a, in a minute. And we thought, well, how do we get the maximum number of riders uh, British riders so we spoke to British Cycling and we agreed to with them to run a GB development team and give places to several riders that otherwise wouldn't have made it so mm -hmm. several from Pearl Azumi breast cancer care and I think in the end one in five riders in the race was British uh, we were proud of that but they were all there on merit yeah um, so we've we were quite proud of what we did although we were very conscious that you had all of these British domestic teams desperately wanting to ride we invited the switch so, so the the outsiders if you like or outside the top 10 there were emma Pooley's team uh, two american teams optum and uhc mm -hmm. both great teams and one had hannah barnes and sharon in um and then we invited the swiss because it was a bit different 
um, and also Lointec from Spain. We wanted to say that the race wasn't just for Northern Europe and we had quite a heavy emphasis on Northern European teams. So we, we thought the Swiss development team would be good and we liked what Lointec had been doing. Um, there were lots of other teams we'd have loved to be invited, but we were limited and uh, we think broadly we got it right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, Yolanda Neff was just, just in herself, was a, was oh, yeah. a perfect, you know, it, it kind of, your, 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 your answers really paid off, I think, because, you know, Yolanda versus Sharon was brilliant. You know, Optum winning, um, Optum winning the team prize and just being such lovely, lovely yeah. riders. Yeah. It, it was interesting. But I, I think the other thing is, is that I'm not a massive big fan of domestic teams in top pro races. I mean, I like it on one respect because it gives riders a chance to shine. And But, you know, you see it in the Tour Series. You know, there are some domestic teams where their riders are just, you know, you're never going to even get into the top 10 and you're just going to get yeah. dropped. And, and, yeah. and you don't really want people just to be there as pack filler. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So we had quite a bit of, we had a little bit of unpleasant feedback. You know, one of people was saying, so it's a tour of Britain and they've only invited one team. And I thought the British team, I thought, no, we've invited one in five riders in the field is British. Yeah, yeah. And and actually, that's how it should be. You know, we shouldn't be... I mean, I, I have a bit of a problem. Yeah, as you probably know, I have a bit of a problem with the lack of development of road cycling in, in, in Britain, you know, from in, in as opposed to track cycling. And the fact that riders have to kind of do it, you know, by, by themselves. But, you know, I would rather see Lizzie in Bowles and, you know, Hannah and Sharon in UHC and, and do you know what I mean? And, and, and all yeah. of those riders. I'd rather see it like that, that you've got yeah. like riders. Actually, you can race and you're racing with the top teams. You yeah. Know? You, that's what we expect from the men. I mean, I guess Team Sky's changed things a little bit, hasn't it? But yeah, I, no, I think you're right. And so, so I think we had the one British team matrix and they've done a lot for the sport. And it, and by the way, the decision that they, they sponsor the tour series, the, you know, the, the women's uh, tour series races, it was nothing to do with that. Lots of people think it was, but we liked the way they behaved as a team. They've tried to develop riders. They've tried to change the sport on the domestic calendar, yeah. they treat their riders properly. They're well turned out. And we thought, you know, there was Pearl Azumi, a good team, there was Matrix and there were one or two others. And we thought, you know, we want to give, not only, we can only give one space away. And we thought, let's give it to the ones who are trying to change the sport. Um, and they and they all finished. I mean, they had tough days. Um, Jesse Walker got up there on a few days and did well. Helen Wyman, of course. But we were really pleased with them. Yeah. Uh, but it was more about what they were, you know, they're great athletes, but they were at full stretch. But we wanted to say to the people in Britain, you can do a, be in a domestic team. You can make the step up. It'll be very, very hard. But, you know, the door's open. So, yeah. You know, yeah. And I mean, I, I, I think I said this to you before. Some of the teams that were complaining didn't even have websites. <laughs> no, they didn't have websites. They didn't have vehicles. They didn't have, uh, they weren't uh, looking at, you know, I don't want to criticise them. It's, yeah. it's tough. But they uh, weren't, they're not paying their riders, for example. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't take a team. And, and you know, a team that can't publicise the race, whereas... You know, we all love the Matrix neutral service site, which, you know, which showcases all of yes. cycling in Britain, not just their yeah. own team. And they're, they're well known for that. And, you know, yeah. Helen comes with a massive fan base. Yeah. Yeah. And also she's, you know, and also she's a good, you know, she's 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 well known with she's well known and respected within the peloton. So, yeah, it, she, she was, uh, you know, she's just one of my favorite riders. But the. um <laughs> Yeah, you're you're absolutely right what you're saying. So I'd like to say to the British teams, we're sorry, but it is a 2.1 race, and as an organizer, I was obliged by the UCI not yeah. you know to pick a decent field. So yeah, yeah. 
yeah. We did that to the best of our ability. Yeah. And you do, and Sweet Spot do do more than anyone else. You've the tour series is open to all of those teams, you know, and that's yeah. on TV too. And it's like it, not everyone can race the Tour de France. Yeah. You know, not everyone can race the Giro, the, you know, the men's Giro or the Giro Rossa. Yeah. And I think I think that's. We're very, I say this, and I include myself in this, but we're very quick to jump on things, I think, in cycling fans and the cycling world. You know, we're very quick to shout. And, yeah. and, I, and I think it's, it's, it's what I like about your races is they really make me think about, you know, wider, wider pictures and stuff. And, you know, maybe the solution is to, is to you know, is to, is to push for more, you know, is to push for more top races in Britain. You know, yeah. let's have a two points, you know, push for someone to do a 2.2 race, which is, you know, attracting the development teams rather than yes. the top teams. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So, um, who else were your favourite riders, Guy? Uh, <laughs> Rochelle Gilmore asked me that because in London I said, "Oh, there goes my favourite rider," and she immediately wanted to know who that was. Well, my favourite wiggle rider. Uh, I've got some, you know, I've got several favourites. I think the one I admire the most and happen to like as well is Lizzie. Yeah. Not not because she's a fantastic athlete, but she's a complete rider. But what I like about Lizzie is she's independent of spirit. Yeah. So she's she just gets on with it. She's gone up, you know, she's not working as part of the the BC system, the British cycling system. She's living abroad on her own. She flies around. She's robust. I, I just like she rides the track. She's 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 just a complete rider, and I just respect her and admire her a lot. So she's my favourite, um, probably. But I've got um, a lot of time for Hannah Barnes. Yeah, I just like her whole attitude. She's she did a lot of work with the schools with us before the women's tour. Um, just great. Uh, Ellen Van Dyke. Funny story about her. I think you were in the car on the Essex stage. The speed was 50 kilometres an hour. And it was just going up and up into a headwind, I think this was. <laughs> and we were watching Ellen Van Dyke on the front. And then, then we heard she had a puncture or a mechanical. And we had to slow the car down, you know, and almost stop for mm. a sandwich. And then it went back up again because Ellen Van Dyke had got back on again and immediately <laughs> hit the front. So I love, 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 love watching her. And then Peter Mullins is a favourite. I don't know. She's just a great uh, something about her I like. I saw her driving along, you know, for Wiggle Honda. Uh, very nice person. So they're probably four that spring to mind. Yeah. Did you see Peter in the Commonwealth mountain bike? Because she'd really yeah. got proper podium hopes, but she dropped her chain in the first lap. Didn't and when see she, that, no. Yeah, she finished about 15 riders back, you know, 15th back. And, you know, you can be absolutely, you know, she, it was really disappointing for her and it would have been gutting for her. But she crossed, when she came in to finish... The crowd were going crazy and she was just high-fiving everyone in the crowd as she passed. Enormous great big grin on her face, you know, yeah. giving loads of love back to the crowd at a time when you would have, you you know, you'd have forgiven her if she'd have just like crossed the line in tears, you know what I mean? Or throwing yeah, her bike yeah. on the ground yeah. and stamped she's on it. She's nice. They're, they're a whole load of nice girls. Sharon Laws has to have the biggest smile out of anyone, I have to say. Oh, know. Sharon. Sharon's one of my favourites. But yeah, yeah they're all my favourite. But I mean, were there any um, were there any difficult were there any difficulties with dealing with the teams? I thought you were going to say, were there any difficult women? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who are your least favourite guy? <laughs> <laughs> I can't think, no. Uh, was What was the question again? <laughs> um, were, were there any challenges in dealing with the teams? Yeah, some of them uh, were not helpful to deal with at all. So they need to learn from that. We were, Pete Hodges, who's our PR guy, we, we were determined to build up a big uh, internet social media presence before the race. Yes. And we wanted a website with photos of the teams and team profiles and whatever. And one or two teams who were nameless 
didn't reply to any of our emails, didn't send us any information. We were keen to treat the riders properly, so we wanted to book hotel rooms with uh, people rooming with who they wanted to and dietary needs and everything. And a couple of teams just wouldn't reply. And uh, you know what? I don't think we'll ask them back next year. Oh, interesting. Mm. Interesting. So we can um, we can kind of extrapolate from next year's start list. Probably, yeah. Really I mean, I just think we're trying to change the sport. Yeah. Um, I mean, there'll be some teams that might not come back for other reasons, so don't extrapolate too much. <laughs> but, but Pete Hodges and his team, we're trying to do so much. And when you can't get somebody to set, when you ask for, can I have... Well, so here's an example. For the leaders' jerseys, we wanted to have their logos ready to, yeah. to sublimate onto the jersey on the podium. Yeah. Well, some teams didn't send that and their logo and then they wouldn't send photos of their riders or they wouldn't give riders profiles or they wouldn't tell us the twitter tags of their riders and you just think you know what i just think we'll ask somebody who does want to come yeah i mean it must be it is it's hard isn't it because you know some of these teams are run by absolute shoestrings i think you know one of the teams that i know in the main peloton they're they're into you know their social media is run by a fan because he just yeah. you know but but then on the other hand and i guess i guess there's also the thing of they're just not used to teams dealing with that but it seems so short-sighted doesn't it to kind of it does and i know they're on a shoestring but you can reply to emails but then i think that comes back to what we were saying about matrix about how well run they are as a team yeah. and how professional um, I think we are always going to have a fairly restricted field in the women's tour and it isn't just about the race and we're trying to check, you know, it's about engaging, uh, having fan clubs for the riders, being young people being able to email their favourites. I think people will have to recognise, and this will sound arrogant, but if they want to ride the Friends Life women's tour, they need to uh, resolve that because uh, yeah. that's what we're demanding as an organiser because yeah. we're trying to raise the bar. And yeah. I don't think that's a bad thing. No, and I think that's and I think that's also it's a fair I think it's a fair ask, you know, because everyone said that this was the most well organized race they'd been to and that everyone's that was the phrase that everyone kind of said it was setting the standard, raising the bar were the two things that riders and teams said to me over and over and over all week. And and it was a media as well. Yeah. Uh, so I guess it's like it's it is only fair, isn't it, that if you offer them something that they that, that, that they that they have to rise to the occasion play too. the game yeah, because you know because yeah. we all you know we all have to pro up don't we and that's what you know it's what i've loved about you know rabo and wiggle and their media this I year i love their media yeah rabo and wiggle absolutely and matrix yeah, uh, yeah but you know those little videos those little videos that rabo and wiggle do that are just you know you can you know people who have only ever heard of wiggle because of laura trot yeah. And they watch their videos and they find out about Peter or Amelia or Georgia and they can, you know, they can kind of have favourites who are beyond, yeah, beyond just the, you know, beyond just the one name that you hear about. And that's clever. I used to get people saying to me, less so now, oh, women are useless on bikes, you know, they're all fat, they don't know what to do. Really terrible statements. And I just say now, just go and watch the film from Marion of Oss's Handlebars <laughs> on the final stage in Paris, you know, on the... Yeah, on the, yeah, yeah, uh, where she goes, where she's riding up the side and you're just like, oh my God. Well, she's, she's just clipping gendarmes at about 50 miles an hour <laughs> on the Champs-Élysées and I'm just thinking, my God, I'm so glad I'm yeah. not in there. Yeah. And, and the, the, the one that Georgia Brun, the one that Wiggle put out of Georgia Bronzini... Yeah. Um, at, at, in London at the Prodet, yeah. you yeah. know the gaps that she could get through. Yeah, 
But that's, yeah. I mean, people used to say to me, oh, well, women's cycling isn't on TV because it's boring. And my answer was, which race are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, because you yeah. know, I watch, I, I look for a lot of women's racing and I can't find it. So tell me which one you watched and show me the clips so I can yeah. see whether it's boring or not. And it's Or male third category riders on websites saying women are useless. And I just think, just uh, have a go at keeping up with that then. Yeah, there was a DS, there was a DS for an Australian team complaining about women talking about the course and calling it a sideshow and um right. and you're like well that's just that's just i mean that says more about you than it does anyone else you know yeah but i mean yeah. speaking of the media yeah you have some figures don't you about the tv coverage yeah yeah well it was crazy we uh we were on itv4 every day that's that's hmm. a your international people that's a national free-to-air tv station which is effectively itv sport it's where they put all their yeah. sport programs and we didn't know what would happen um we were hoping for good figures but we were getting four hundred thousand viewers for each stage wow. and in fact rochelle said to me at the weekend i said by the way it's 400 and she said for the whole race and i went no rochelle for each stage and so we started off with you typically had the summary in the evening program that was an hour we were getting roughly 300,000 for that and then you had the repeat the next morning and roughly 100,000 for that yeah but funny enough on a Saturday you had less in the evening but you know more the next day but they all averaged out at 400,000 and we were competing with the Giro d'Italia that was in Ireland at the time in Belfast and we thought it would drop off but in fact our viewing figures stayed constant and then on top of that we had uh, Eurosport in UK and I don't have the the separate figures for that but you know that's on top of 400 so just in uk we're having about half a million viewers a day and as i said earlier it wasn't dropping off people were getting totally hooked on it um 65 yeah. of them were men so you'll be told or you will hear men aren't interested in women's sport it's just not true yeah I've proved it and every man i've spoken to who was watching it just said they were, couldn't believe how aggressive the racing was and how exciting it was yeah and then we got on the website, we did social media, I think we had, I think it was one and a half million hits or visits, uh, separate visits or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, it's not an, it's not one of these figures, oh, nobody's interested, we don't really want to publish it and this, it was just crazy amounts of media. And we had over 200 accredited journalists on the race, I think, uh, I think that's the right figure, which was more than the men's tour. Yeah. We had so many TV cameras filming in Andal and on several stages that our problem was how to manage it all with uh, offering them all good access points. So we had BBC, ITV, we had BBC Breakfast, which uh, I think has six million viewers a day. We had BBC Radio 4, Eurosport, Dutch Media, we had Rabobank filming. It was just crazy. And that added to the atmosphere and, and I think made the girls or women feel well treated, you know, and that it was a big deal. So yeah. just incredible. And um I'm not going to tell you for the view, the viewing figures for the women's race in London, the Prudential Ride London, but I've seen them this morning and they'll blow your mind. Amazing. It's so, it's so, I mean, I'm especially happy that it happened before the Tour de France Grand Depart because I think what's so special about this is um, no one could say it was because of a man's race. Yeah. So with the Olympics, everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, it might have been, oh, well, yeah, you know, there's always excuses, isn't there? Because the yeah. women had more, a higher peak viewing figure for the Olympic road race than the men's Olympic road race yeah. did. Yeah. And there's always an excuse. No, we had 400,000 people or more, call it, let's just assume for a moment that Eurosport was 100,000. I'm just, I'm just yeah. making that figure up. So we had half a million people tuning in to watch a women's race every day. And the police have told us that by the side of the road were 350,000 spectators 
for a women's race. It's amazing. And, had, I mean, how does how does that compare to the men's tour? Because I mean, I wouldn't expect it to be more, of course. But I mean, is it is it is it a healthy comparison? It's, hel- it's healthy. I, I think at the men's tour, it's eight days. You get over a million. Yeah. But but they're different because you go into big cities as well. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. hard to compare. But it's a very. He- I think anyone would say it's a very healthy comparison. Oh, it just, um, just makes me so happy, guy. It really. It felt like a change. It felt like a game changer, a shift. It was so exciting to be part of it because it just felt like this was vindication just for the riders as well. You know, this wasn't yeah. about the Olympics. This was about something that just, you know, caught the imagination. You know, and, and it didn't catch imagination by accident. It was all that hard work. You know, I think, I think that's yeah. other things everyone knew. Like, you know, you don't randomly get kids standing on the roadside with a Bowles Dolman's sign. <laughs> No, no. Some of the schools, by the way, they all knew about... This comes back to what I was saying about the teams. So we provided the schools with all the team logos uh, and which riders were riding for them. So imagine the schools where there was one Wilby Primary School in Northamptonshire where you went past it. I think you heard me comment in the car. They designed flags for every single school, uh, for every team to welcome them, saying we welcome, you know, Astana and whatever. Uh, And that didn't happen by accident. Yeah, and that's why it's so important for teams to engage. Yeah. I mean, the, the the flip side of this is you are a relative for women's cycling, a very well-funded, and, and, you know, not relative to men's cycling, but relative to women's cycling, a very well-funded, very professional organisation. You know, a lot of women's races are run by committees of volunteers who, you know, who who do it out of love and, and you know, and and don't have the, ca- you know, don't have the cash to be able to, to be able to do that. I mean, it, it felt, and I feel like there's space for all of that on the calendar, actually. Yeah, I mean, well, I haven't been there, but uh, I mean, funding was challenging for us because we're a business and we have to run yeah. at a you know break even or a profit or whatever. But I've I've I believe that one of the best races, from what I've heard, is the LCR comes in Luxembourg, which yeah. apparently I've spoken to the organisers, pretty much a bunch of volunteers, and I hope that doesn't sound disparaging. I don't mean that at all, but I've heard that's a fantastic race. So I think there's room for everything. Yeah. You know? And I think there's also room for standalone. You know, I mean, I mean, I, 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 I'm not one of these people who thinks that every men's race should have a women's race. I think, I, my personal feeling is that every men's race that wants to be top tier should have a women's race or be affiliated with an existing women's race. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think we've said the same. People said to us, "Why don't you? Why is this women's tour not part of the men's tour of Britain?" And uh, we've got limited time here. It's logistically impossible for us. I'll just yeah. mark it at that. You know, we. We use every motorbike outrider we can get our hands on for the men's tour and for the women's tour. You couldn't run the women's tour in Britain on the back of the men's tour. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, but I do get asked. You know, at some stage, people criticise you and say it's wrong. I just say there's no right one. You know, I don't think it matters if it works for, you know, the, another race. That's fine. And if standalone races work for somebody else, that's fine as well. And I, I've been quoted as saying that I think every national tour certainly national tour but we'll come back to big races should feel morally obliged to run a decent women's race now whether that is before their race or afterwards on a separate day or even Mm. as you say linking in i don't think it really matters but i just think if we could get every national tour to be morally obliged to run a a really decent women's race and all all of the problems will be gone yeah Yeah. and i think you know and this is the thing like the giro can 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 partner with the giro rossa 
yeah. uh, Milano Sanremo can partner with the Trofeo Binder, for yeah. example. It's and you know because we see it in the Netherlands as well, where the the Drenthe races off the back and Borsale races off the back of the women's tour, they run junior men the women's races. They won run junior men's races. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's that's also really interesting. I mean, I really like that you also demonstrated. You know, with Friends Life coming the company coming in through the women's tour, and then going on to sponsor the men's tour. You know, that's the opposite of what people yeah. think of women's sport, isn't it? It's, it yeah. is, you know, you're bringing money into the men's sport. Well, Friends Life was so blown away by the women, they then decided to sponsor the men as well. It's a perfect, you know, how about <laughs> that? You know, just think, what about that? Yeah. And by the way, I don't know if you saw Twitter today, Northamptonshire County Council, each councillor had an independent financial benefit analysis done. It brought over half a million pounds of benefit into Northamptonshire, just stage one. Goodness. And that's, and especially in a time of recession and in a yeah. time of, in a time of, you know, difficulty, that's, that's just fantastic. And that's, yeah. I mean, you just must be feel, feel really proud of that. There are almost no, there are almost no negatives. Uh, no, there are, I don't think there are negatives. We feel tremendously proud. Um, everyone, everyone in Sweet Spot does. And I'm always a little embarrassed because I keep, you know, sort of Guy Elliott from the women's tour. And I, on every quote, I go, actually, there's a whole team working on this. I'm just the front man. So Pete Hodges and Grace Metcalf did a great job. Oh, in they're amazing. Park. Yeah, they're fun. They're good fun. And if you're <laughs> ever travelling them with them in a car, it is very, very funny. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's all I can say. They're, they're, yeah. just, they're just. I was. I was talking. You know, the, 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 on Sunday when they were getting up at four a.m. to go and fix yeah. transponders onto celebrities' bikes in the rains, and and yeah. I think Jonathan Derling from um, Skoda. Skoda was saying about how friendly and happy they were, and they're like, no, no, that was insanity. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Uh, and Rob Kennison, he does the finishes, and Mark Leyland, the star. So I was, uh, and Andy Hawes, the routing. You know, there's lots of people. Uh, Angel Claire Grant does the hospitality. So we're all, I think everyone felt that the women's tour was special and different. So we're tremendously proud and uh, determined to make it grow, really. So where do you go from here? I mean, yeah. is there a temptation to add in an individual time trial, for example, or, no. or to leave those areas? Is it, is it always going to be around this part of the country, do you think? I think you have to understand our commercial model. The first thing is that every stage town, start and finish, pays us quite a substantial amount. So it is in our interest to have a start and finish town. Um, yeah. And by the time they've paid that money, it's a substantial amount. As, sorry, I'm repeating myself. But we also have the police motorbikes. That costs us a lot. So by the time you look at that resource, it is not in our interest in just a five-day race to run a short 10 to 15-kilometre time trial. Right. Really. The other thing is, if we did, um, we would probably then have the field pretty much sorted out. You know, Ellen van Dyke yeah. would be 30 seconds up or something. And that doesn't come back to what we want from TV. And thirdly, we want exciting racing on TV. So I think we're pretty much made, pretty much decided that for the time being, we won't run a time trial. The more interesting question is whether it's more days or not. And we would like to make it more days, but there is a crowded international calendar at the moment. And uh, we've got issues with next year because of the general election in Britain taking place on what I'd call our normal week, first yeah. week of May. But we can't find space in the calendar. But no, no, I'm, I'm, I question this. I'm not, I'm not questioning you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, because I've heard this before, that the UCI doesn't like clashes. And yeah. I've done a lot of research on the women's calendar over the years. And, and it used you know, we've, we've dropped a huge amount of races we're, we're down you know we're down probably 180 race days than uh, than, than there were in 2008 in yeah. 2000 in 2000 no, maybe not 2008 maybe 2000 and 
Yeah, 2009. Yeah. You know, I did this, I looked at it over six years. And I quite like having races on at the same time as each other because I feel like if you only can have one race at a time, that means every race you've got Mariana Voss, Rabobank, Emma Johansson, blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and, it's, and it's a very limited, it becomes a very limited peloton. Yeah. Whereas when you've got races going up against each other, especially when they're in different terrain, you know, that's better for the sport because it's more riders getting exposure, more yeah. teams having a chance to race, especially more of the smaller teams getting a chance to race. And, and yeah, I mean, I love Mariana Voss, but I wouldn't want to watch, a, you know, I wouldn't want yeah. to lose more races and have, you know, Voss versus Johansson as every single race. Yeah. Well, the UCI, firstly, I'd say is they're very helpful to us. So there's no, there's no hidden adversarial relationship going on here mm. but i think what they try and do is make sure that 2.1 races don't clash so you might have one right in the south of europe and one in the north but they try to uh you'd have to ask them but it's fairly obvious that they will try to make sure that you don't have good 2.1 races clashing with each other mm. um and then they try not to have a 2.1 stage race clashing with the world cup so that yeah. was an issue like with Chongming or or whatever and when you start to i haven't got the diary the calendar in front of me but actually, very quickly, you have the women's classics. So you've got the Flesh Wallone and things like that. So you can't go for April. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the versus Flesh Wallone yeah. or whatever it is, Het Volker, you know, you'd, you'd really struggle. Then you come into May and June and you don't want to clash with Chongming because it's a World Cup. You don't want to clash with else Off the top of my head, first week of May is the Elsie Jacobs. Well, you yeah. don't want a stage race in England to clash with the Elsie Jacobs. They're well established and whatever. Um then two weeks, maybe three weeks later, then, then you've got our race. Then two weeks later, you've got Chongming and China, which is a World Cup. Then you go into the, Gi the Giro del Doni or whatever they call the, you know, the Tour of Italy these yeah. days. So it's, it is remarkably difficult. And I think the challenge is within that calendar, there are some badly run events you yes. know, where safety is an issue and whatever. Yes. And I think we need to, I'm going to use my wording properly. On the, you know, I think we have to have the balls to actually get rid of those events from the international calendar and say you know what or or the other one will take priority and there will be a clash yeah yes um, yes and i you mean languedoc roussillon last year where two team where rabo and bowls refused to ride because you know they literally cancelled it while yeah. riders were driving down to it and then toscana where half the peloton you know the giro toscana was the only point hc race last year and there yeah. was it was literally dangerous there was literally yeah. oncoming traffic in the race and and everyone yeah. talks about it being as as you know everything you heard it was worse <laughs> yeah but that's so so they try to make sure they don't clash which they're right this is 2.1s and yeah, that gives yeah. you a very then you've got the national championships and the olympics or you know whatever the world's it is very difficult so at the moment we're looking for next year and having very friendly discussions with the uci we're not going to be in the first week of may because there's a general election mm -hmm. so and you then start to look around and think well not april then there's the you know, so wet, you don't want to clash with the route to France or whatever. Uh, yeah. And it pins you down to very limited options. Yeah. Although the route to France, I know you just picked that out of a hat, but, you know, as a race where I, I'm i a geek and I struggle to find information and finish line photos about it, you know, I'm kind of like, well, that's one. I've got a list in my head of races that I'd be quite happy to... <laughs> <laughs> get right. rid of you know, energy water i love it it's fantastic you can you know that that should be absolutely ring fenced but equally energy water is all about the sprinters if there was a hilly race yeah. i'd put yeah. a hilly race up against it like you know the old days where it was trentino versus um trentino versus rabo stair 
Yeah. Like Trentino's yeah. for climbers, Rabo stairs for sprinters. Win, win, win. Yeah. Everyone wins. It's, it's, I think you know, Trentino's gone to one day now, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Trentino's been cancelled and, you know, it went from three yeah. days to one. I mean, that's the other thing is that struggling races, are we, are we, you know, when you've got races where riders are staying in caravans and campsites and, you know, they've been given a, a croissant and a, you know, a croissant for breakfast. So, you know, the riders, yeah. you know, so, so, teams which are well prepared you know basically bring a week's worth of food wow in their car because you know they want their riders to be able to eat it's right yeah interesting so yeah so, so you asked about the race um in the future yeah the, the other thing that i hadn't appreciated we'd like to take it to six seven or eight days or whatever but actually the calendar we, we had some good advice here but somebody said to me why make it longer why not just make it better because for example at the end of five days, I come back to this two-tier peloton. There are some very tired legs from people who, who would not hang on for a lot longer. Yeah. You know? I'm quite uh, happy with that, though, Guy. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think, you know what you were saying about races? I'm quite happy to lose some of the teams, you know. If there are teams that aren't paying their riders and they're not supporting their riders to be able to race as well, I, I, mean, well, I mean, it comes back to my plan that there should be a pro layer and a development layer. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it helps that anyone can become a UCI pro team and suddenly, you know, your random team is the same as Orica or Specialized yeah. or Rabobank. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> but but yeah, I think no. for the moment, um, five days. So I, I was thinking, OK, seven days and whatever. And somebody said, no, mate, just think people are coming out of a race on this crowded calendar on Sunday. They come to you on the Wednesday, you know, on the Tuesday, yeah. start racing on the Wednesday. Don't get a hang up about making it longer. Just let the event build in quality and sustainability and the wider agenda and then maybe take it longer then. So I think this coming year, it'll probably be five days again and then hopefully seven days, something like that. But um, we're not hung up about making it a longer race where I think this time last year I would have been. Yeah, but I think I think there's going to be. This year you had a lot of love and I think it was Peter, Peter or Grace told me, you know, that on the Twitter, for example, with the men's, with the men's tour of Britain, you get a load of hate. You get a load of love, but you get a load yeah. of hate and yeah. saying that pretty much, you know, and it could be about things like road closures, transfers being too long, not going around enough of England. You know, everyone's got an yeah. opinion and everyone's going to just yell it, yell it at you. He said, whereas this reaction to this tour was pretty much universally positive. Yeah, it was. And yeah. I think that's, yeah, and, and I guess you have to be aware, you know, I mean, I know you know this, but, you know, that's going to be a honeymoon effect, isn't it? Like, I wouldn't like yeah. this with a potential ride classic. I, you know, yay, yay last year. Grr, why is it not a road race this year? Yes, yeah. And I that, think that's, that's a the... good point, yeah. Uh, so I think we go to East Midlands or the Southeast again this year uh, for five days, or this coming year. But I think then people say, okay, because uh, we have to get established. Uh, mm. And also when we went last year, we had to promise, not didn't have to, we promised councils we're not just here for a fleeting visit. But I think then you'll see the race evolve and move probably more into, so if I just give an example of, of guesswork. So broadly, broadly the same in 2015. Um, and, I, and I don't mean exactly the same, yeah. but I think you could see us move westwards into Warwickshire, you know, the Midlands or Shropshire or places like that. And interestingly, those have got hillier areas, you know, you've got the Cotswolds, things like that. So that's broadly how we're thinking at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, I think, you know, for people who complain about it, the people who were there for you when you were unproven deserve some reward too. Absolutely. You know, it's the same yeah. with the sponsors. It's the same with the, with the you know, with the areas that... You know, they took a risk on you 
Yes. Anderlin Northampton and Barry St Edmunds, you know, in fact, all of them, they took a risk on us. Many of the council leaders said, we, you know, it finally happened. You know what? When you came to see us, we didn't think it would happen, but we wanted to help you. And then for us to say, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to southwest England now. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah, We don't yeah. want to do that. And by the way, the teams are on tight budgets and they liked hopping over the channel yeah. on the Sunday. You know, they were home at night, many of the Belgian teams. Yeah, yeah. Got, away, got them away at three o'clock and they were back in Belgium at six, you know, yeah. so there's that. But uh, I think we have to make sure the event doesn't go stale. So I think next year broadly the same and then then you'll see it evolve exciting i mean i i was just interested as well in your sponsors because the thing i noticed was um because i know that you'd had i it, i i picked up from twitter that there had been some you know some slight frustration about it you know it, it took a very long time before you announced your title sponsor and i was yeah. very impressed with you guys going ahead without a title sponsor and you know having the confidence in it but it was funny looking at looking at like the companies that started to do doing women's tour giveaways who weren't part of the race or you All know right. right yeah I think one of the shoe companies you know free pairs of shoes to celebrate the women's tour if you tweet this hashtag and stuff okay. and it's like well that's that's interesting I mean did you get did did it was it interesting trying to get sponsors in the first place interesting God, I felt <laughs> like. Uh... I think it, when I was out looking for sponsors, that's when I became a feminist after that. I joined some <laughs> feminist organisation. I was, uh, I think, you know, I was a CEO in industry and people used to talk about the glass ceiling. Well, yeah. I certainly banged my head on the glass ceiling enough when we were looking for sponsorship with people all saying, oh, sounds absolutely, or many saying, sounds absolutely fantastic. But oh, I don't know, we just don't have quite have room for it in our budget at the moment when these are organisations spending millions on sponsorship, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it was tough. Uh, but it just made us more determined to go ahead. Uh, but we did have to trim our budgets. You know, money money was very tight because uh, we are a commercial organisation um, and we're not some large, you know, massively funded organisation that can afford to take big hits. But yeah. we, we decided to go ahead anyway. And then sponsors came in at the end. But we're now having now shown what's possible you know 500,000 TV viewers a day hundreds <laughs> of thousand people by the side of the road we're in a much more sustainable and better position and Friends Life came in late and they're, they're fantastic it's not just having them as a sponsor and providing some cash but they're the perfect brand really they're you know they're a blue chip financial institution they've got a very strong social agenda they've got a strong moral responsibility sense of moral you know strong moral compass and most importantly, they want to do a lot around activation, about inspiring people into take up, taking up cycling. Yeah. So they're just, they're just absolutely perfect for yeah. us. So w when they came on board, we were absolutely over the moon. But it, it was a bit last minute, but well worth waiting for. Mm. I thought Strava were a hilarious fit too. I mean, that day Great. when Mariana Voss broke yeah. 43... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Strava yeah. sighters and all the dudes on Twitter kind of going who literally Mariana Voss taking away their hard fought yes. King of the Mountains changed yeah. their idea of women's cycling yeah that was uh, Steve Fry who works for us uh, and interestingly he looks uh, after Danny King and other people but uh, he just said wouldn't it be great if we did Strava and then put Strava onto Mariana and uh, it was quite funny because of course male records were being broken left, right and centre while she was riding along having a sandwich, I think. Yeah, you know? yeah. And she had, um, I asked her the question in, in one of the press conferences. So, you know, for those men who are worried about, you know, how they how should they get their King of the Mountains segment back? What's your advice? And she went, oh, you know, take a bunch of girls. Yeah, yeah. Funny things. <laughs> and like you that. can't, you can't make, I mean, Mariana is so 
I mean, I know she's had a lot of practice, but she's so natural. Yeah, she's good. She's, she's so she's just so charming and and yeah. and funny that it it's kind of like you can't you can't really. That's one of those things where any company should be grateful to have her. Oh yeah, talking about their brand and you know yeah. using their brand. No, she's very natural. She's good. But the other thing, just I don't know if it's the appropriate time to say it, but just as you're saying that made me realise I used to get a lot of negative comments about women cyclists a year or so ago. After the women's tour, I haven't heard any male cyclists talking disparagingly about the women. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I mean, that's just coincidence, I don't know, but I suspect not. Well I think I think there was the Olympics which blew over people who'd not watched women's cycling i mean just the attack and especially because you could compare the women to the men like just ellen van dyke and luce hunnawijk attacking and attacking just even before box hill started yeah and then you know mariana versus emma pooley on box hill and then you know and then of course that amazing end and finish i think that was a game changer because it was on national tv and you couldn't hide from it yeah but, yeah. you know, that's two years ago now. And then every stage was so hard fought. And, you know, those stages where Tiff Cromwell would just explode out of the peloton at 3K to go. Yeah. And yeah. it would become this mad chase through, you know, this mad chase on English roads. Yeah. That was just, that was, that, I don't think you can argue. You can't say women are boring or women are dull. No. Unless coming you're into, Coming into the final stage in Bury St Edmunds, we were 10K from the finish. So the race was decided. We thought, oh, that's it. You know, Voss has won. She had... 20 to 30 seconds on GC mm. and there were just repeated attacks going on in the last 10 Ks of people saying no I'm I'm not going to accept this yeah, uh, just yeah, yeah. fantastic yeah I mean too many attacks you know when you're doing the live updating you know it's a good race when you can't keep up with the attacks yeah you know and the funny thing was was like because getting to see the replies on Twitter people who'd never even watched bike racing falling in love with it and becoming hooked even through social media you know, yeah. and people who made friends with each other and kind of formed little inter- yeah. online com- online communities, and you know, people who met each other and went out for drinks after stages. Yeah, or... I'll tell you a funny story for your international listeners or whatever. On the final stage, we were coming into Bury St Edmunds, and because of all the attacks that had been happening at the end of every stage, Mick Bennett, the race director, said we can't afford to have motorbike cameras in the last three kilometres. Uh, on stage four, one of them got in the way. Lizzie went mad, and it, you know it was—it wasn't done deliberately, but it, it, it certainly impeded Lizzie. You yeah. know the TV moto. So we said okay with, and I think with the instructions to me was with three to four kilometres to go, the the moto comes out, and then we'll film it by helicopter. Mm. And that was all clear. Anyway, we were going into Bury St Edmunds for the final. It was all building up to a fantastic sprint finish. And I, I then went on race radio saying, right, motorbike camera out of the way now. The rest will be covered by helicopter. The motorbike zoomed off. And as I said that, the helicopter came and landed in the field next to me. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I said, oh, my God. Because I could just imagine, cut, you know, the editors and, and the highlight building up and then suddenly no TV coverage. And then luckily it zoomed off. Again and oh, was... yeah, you know, and only when I saw TV last that late that night did I know they'd covered the finish of what was a hectic <laughs> sprint. But I just thought, oh god! So and that was because the bunch was so active; they were unpredictable. We couldn't safely put motorbikes in with them to film because of the high amount of attacks. It's amazing. I think I think what annoyed me was you know when there when there was the um uh wheelchair gate where the guy in the in the scooter oh. tried to get across the you know Tiffany yeah. I think it was in Clacton when Tiffany had attacked and he yeah. had just yeah. and and it was like this near death experience but but you know people go oh that bad safety and you're like seriously there's a marshal on the corner who's told them not yeah. to go 
the marshal is not going to expect someone in a wheeled scooter. It just shows you, though, the dividing line between success and failure because everything had been done. There were marshals, and that person in that wheelchair literally crossed and kept going. Don't think they even knew what they'd done. No. And would have taken it was within seconds of taking out the whole front yeah. of a, the lead out girls and everything. And um, you just think, oh, and the, I, th- I think Danny King just missed her. I saw a video of Danny King saying, oh. Did you see that guy in the. <laughs> but so what's, what was interesting was, I mean, especially, I've seen it a couple of times this year, people who do not follow the race, but will jump on the slightest hint of polemica um, of, of a race. You know, they haven't watched the Giro, but they've decided Mariana Voss raced dirty in the last stage, which you know, I yeah. think is nonsense. But that was one of those things that was, what was most interesting was seeing people like Stefan, oh my God, Steph, I can't believe you're racing, they're so unsafe. And Steph would go, Steph Wyman would go straight back and go, no, this is the safest race I've ever been at. Yeah, I know, that was frustrating. We had that and we had the issue with the lead car, which I got, you know, where yeah. the girl, uh, you know, the poor Take old it. driver got blamed and we yeah. won't go into it, but the girl surrounded the lead car in the neutralised zone, breaking yeah, yeah, all yeah, the rules yeah. and it, whatever. And, people, and he chose to t- he chose to take out the central barrier rather than taking out. A, you know, I was in that car. He was put in an impossible position. Yeah. And people were saying he should never be allowed to do this, that, and the other. You think you weren't there, but no, and it I was, was though, there. Yeah, people are queuing up to sort of criticise, but you have to ignore those. And uh, all the riders were saying it was a very safe. Yeah. So, and we'd never compromise race safety. And that was, and that was. I mean, I think, and especially knowing what the riders did last year over race safety, yeah, they would not. If that had been even slightly, you know, and like Lizzie yelling about the, the, the TV camera bike was, you know, completely legitimate and fine. Yeah. And you dealt with it. Yeah. And, you know, people kind of yelling about those things and, and riders and teams were straight on it going, no. Yeah. No, yeah. you can't talk like that. That's not true. And you'd see people, you know, w- with people wanting to turn things into a big, you know, balloon of um, of, of trauma and nastiness. And it just kind of getting turned around and said, no. No, we got we got great uh, we got lots of compliments about race safety and the accommodation and everything so yeah you just have to learn to try and ignore those things okay. yeah so um i think that's all my questions is there anything else you want to anything i've missed no you, you were asking me about, about the date for next year oh. we won't we, we won't go for the same date next year because of the general election uh, it's nothing to do you know no underlying motives or anything mm. Uh, and we're exploring with the UCI the most suitable alternative dates, and they're being very friendly and helpful, and they juggle the calendar around. So, um, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, there's that. You... you asked me for the dates. We, I can't tell you because that's not finalised yet. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and oh, here's my question. I mean, there was a very interesting thing about you know the Grand Depart and being you know a boys' club basically, and them saying, "Aha, we're going to be running a women's race alongside the, the you know women's tour of Yorkshire next year." I mean, does that is that is that do you know? I mean, I know they're not you. Is that true? Uh, I was slightly put out by that. Not not. I I think the more women's races that happen, great. And I think if the tour of Yorkshire, if that's what it's going to be called, does a women's race, that's great. But to sort of just announce it like that with our race only a couple of days later, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I would like to see better uh, communication and discussions between organisers to work with each other and to, and to work in a spirit of partnership. So I found that quite an unusual announcement. Uh, but, but whilst I welcome women's races being run by a variety of people, um, I don't really know. I don't think they know and I don't mean this destructively but I don't think they know whether they mean a UCI event or a domestic event or yeah. a three-day race or a one-day race um, I, I just don't know I think yeah. it would be good to have another organizer lay on another women's race 
of good quality, whichever category that is. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I mean, you know, this is again, this is where I think, you know, if, if you know, back in the day, we used to have three 10 day Grand Tours on the women's calendar and other races that go alongside it. And, you know, this next week we'll have the Trophée d'Or, which is one of my hit list races because you can't really find that much information about it at the same time as the Vagorda World Cups. You know, I think let's bring on let's bring on a development side of the calendar. Let's divide it clearly so we know that these are the top races and these are development races where riders can, you know, so you're not 19 years old and racing against Mariana Voss. Yeah, or <laughs> or if you think of Yorkshire, that could perhaps be what we'd nickname the Emma Pooley race. You know, if, if it was a one day, yeah. that could be the one where you do go for the very hilly one uh, to provide uh, a solution for for the climbers. Yes, exactly. So, and, that, and that would be and that would be fantastic. And, you know, we, we have we have like a mini a mini North American section on the calendar where you've got the Philadelphia classics and then the, the race in, in Gatineau, you know, the, the, the Canadian races. And, you know, we used to have the same with the Spanish section of the calendar where there were three races, you know, three little, you know, three races. I mean, I guess the thing about Britain is that, you know, a lot of people want to come here because we're a lovely country and, you know, and it's easy for the Anglo for the Anglo speaking riders, like, you know, your Americans and Australians, it's easy here, isn't it? And for yeah. the Dutch and the Belgians, it's, yeah. it's near. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's it's kind of like I think yeah there's there's plenty of there's plenty of room. Yeah, although excited. one of the most enthusiastic teams was Lointech. They were absolutely brilliant. So. <laughs> I bet they were. I mean, yeah, and they're such a small team. It's, yeah. it's I loved that. I know I I know I sound too gushing, but I loved that because you know I loved I just loved the I loved the mix of riders. I loved the mix of racing. I. I loved that you didn't go for live. I actually really loved that you didn't go for live racing, you know, live TV coverage, but that you had, you know, the hour long highlights. I'd like to see both in the future, but if you were going to pick one yeah. or the other, I'd go hour long highlights every day of the week. Yeah, live TV is very expensive. I'm quite ambivalent about it. Um, I like the one hour program where we made it into a program rather than just race coverage. I, I'd like, like live TV as well, but it's a phenomenal cost. And you think, is that where I, where I should spend my money? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, both both is ideal. But if you have to pick one, you know, live TV is while people are at work, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's helpful for me. I'm a freelancer, but you know, I think if we're talking about growing the audience, and you know, when kids are at school as well, you know, yeah. something where you could sit down and watch it as a family. Yeah, got to win. So, well, good luck, good luck, good luck. Thank you. Thanks for the support you give to the sport. We always uh, look at your tweets and laugh, and uh, you, you know, you seem to be the centre of activity. And uh, I'm glad we were able to have you on the Friends Life Women's Tour, and hopefully, you'll be coming with us next year as well oh my god you're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to basically put me under the restraining order because <laughs> I, I wouldn't miss it for the world and i seriously i i would i was excited about it anyway but just it just blew me away it was it felt like it was it felt like it was you know this is one of those moments that changes history and that was yeah. that's really exciting congrats you know seriously on a personal level as well as on a sweetless spot level you know congratulations because that was an I think amazing we do achievement. Know within the within the three hundred and fifty thousand people by the side of the road, or the five hundred thousand who watched it every day, in a few years' time, there's going to be a Mariana Voss who says, "I I first saw cycling at the women's tour." Oh my God! Yes, I went to the women's tour, and Mariana Voss signed uh, my program, and Laura and Trot shook my cyclist. hands. Yeah. <laughs> or a men's world champion who said, "I was at the women's tour, and I was inspired to take up cycling by the women's professional peloton." Wouldn't yeah. That exactly yeah. <laughs> i look forward to it good excellent thanks. well thank you very much for your time and we'll um, be following your adventures in the future lovely thanks sarah